Praise the Lord. Well, we are wrapping up. This is the last Sunday of 2021. We are wrapping up on the theme for the month on the strategy for spiritual warfare. And today in particular, I want to talk about pulling down strongholds. How do we do that? We've been using 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 11, as our main text, and particularly verse 11, where it says that in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The, can, let's have it in the King James Bible, please, uh, that same verse. I love it in the King James. It says, let Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And by the way, let me also not forget to welcome all the people who are uh, uh, with us on uh, all our social media platforms, those of you who are on YouTube, uh, those of you who are also on our website and also on our Facebook page. We welcome you all in the name of the Lord. So we learned from that verse that Satan wants to outwit us, or it says we are not ignorant of his devices, lest Satan should take advantage over us. He uses schemes, strategies to try and outmaneuver us. And Ephesians 6.11 tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that we should be able to stand against the scheming, the plannings, and the wiles of the devil. So we've been making a very extensive study on what the strategy of the enemy is and what spiritual warfare really means. Now, spiritual warfare does, of course, talk about what's happening in the heavenlies. However, in the context that we are talking about, you note when it talks about spiritual warfare, it's really talking about the strategy of the enemy as it comes to him trying to deal with our minds, deal with our understanding, affect our thinking. Last week, actually, we made a brief study to get a better understanding of the strategy of spiritual warfare that Satan uses against us. We looked at five key words that shed light on the strategy of the enemy. And the first word was the word devil or diabolos. And we understood what that word means. And what was the second word? Let me see how good you are in remembering what we studied. What was the second word? The word what? Look at your neighbor who's not saying anything and say, why are you not saying anything? If, not, if they were not here, we'll forgive them. What's the second word? I can't hear you. What's the second word? What's the second word? And the third word is what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Remember to. Stronghold. And the fourth word is what? I can't hear you. Are you looking at your notes? Do you have your notes there? What's the fourth word? And the fifth word is what? It's what? So we saw how these five words actually shed light on the strategy 
that the enemy uses. And in studying them, this is what we learned. The enemy, Satan, who is the accuser, the liar, a deceiver, and a slanderer, will always act diabolos. In other words, he will always try to penetrate our minds by hitting our minds again and again with lies, deception, accusation, and slander with the intention of penetrating our mind. That's what that word diabolos means. It means to throw something at something again and again with the intention of penetrating to the other side. So Satan, who is the accuser, the liar, the deceiver, throws these thoughts at us all the time with the intention of penetrating our minds. We found out these are his wires, or this is the one-way road that he uses. It is the number one top strategy. He heads directly to the mind, striking the mind, striking the emotions, until he finally penetrates, knowing very well that if he can control your mind, he can control your life. He knows that. He knows if he can control your thinking, if he can control your thought life, if he can get you to believe his lies and to buy into his lies, he knows he can control you. Because if your thoughts, that he, the thoughts that he brings, you are not challenging them and counteracting them, they will finally become a stronghold. They will create a prison for you where you will live in prison in your life. You will know what freedom can be. You will be aware of who you can be in Christ, but you will never amount to that level. Not only that, you get to a point where even when new truth is brought your way that tells you you can be a free person, you will say to yourself, it cannot happen to me. So these mental strongholds not only create a prison for you, but they also create a fortress that guards you from any new truth that tries to penetrate your way. And so we realize this is what Satan uses, this stronghold to try and oppress people because their minds have been deceived. Their minds have been lied to. And so Paul says, we are not ignorant of what Satan wants to do. He wants to scramble our minds. He wants to control our minds. He wants to influence our minds so that our thinking becomes our prison and our way of reasoning becomes a stronghold. And so we come to our verse today where Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Just those three verses alone unveil to us how we can deal with strongholds, how we can bring strongholds down. Any area in your life where Satan has sold you a lie, where you see yourself not operating 
to the fullness of God's potential. I've got good news for you. You can walk away a free person today in the name of Jesus. And that verse is showing us that this warfare, this spiritual warfare, is not something that's up there in the air. This spiritual warfare is something that doesn't go higher than your head. It is something that is in your mind. It is that close to you, and you can be able to deal with what Satan is bringing your way. Now note this. It's very important for us to note this, that of the five times that the words war and warfare are used in the New Testament, they are never used once in connection with the devil. Even if the devil gets involved, but in, even in the both instances where the words are used in our text, these words for war and warfare denote mental bondages that must be pulled down. Many of God's people don't realize how much what they think about affects their life. Mental strongholds that Satan plants in our minds. In the context that we are talking to, we are referring to a person who must make an immovable decision to take charge of your mind. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to take charge of your mind. And you're going to take captive every thought that the devil has planted in your mind and in your head. So, let's examine the passage. Beginning from verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare. Somebody say the weapons. Say it again. Say it again. That word weapons depicts armor or weaponry. We find that in the original, it is the same word that is used in Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 14. The same weapons that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 verse 14, when he talks about the breastplate, the shield, the sword, the, 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 the shin guards, the, 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 the sandals, the helmet, and all of that, it is the same word. So Paul is telling us that we have weapons, and these weapons are meant for warfare. So what we're going to read about is not something that is just something to ignore. It's something that's important, something that's potent, something that is there for your defense. And because God provides the weapons, it's important for you, as Ephesians 6 says, take up these weapons. You've got to proactively take these weapons and use them in your life. Paul says it is the weapons of our warfare. Somebody say warfare. Warfare. The word warfare is a very interesting word. It describes a well-planned attack. Watch this now. It speaks of a strategic warfare. It depicts the methods that are used in the attack and the route that is chosen to carry out a debilitating attack. So in other words, when it talks about warfare, it is something that is planned, methodical, and it is meant to launch an attack. In other words, not only does God give us weapons, but God gives us a specific method and a specific strategy on how to attack what the devil has tried to do in messing up our lives. So whatever it is that Satan is trying to do in messing up your life, 
God's word is going to undo it today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this means God gives us weapons and shows us strategic methods, strategic ways in which we can also attack Satan and push back his forces. It is the weapons of our warfare. And this verse says, these weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now the word carnal is a very interesting word. It speaks of something that is fleshly or natural. It is derived from the word natural or material world. What it means is this. The strategy that God gives us may not make sense to the natural mind. When you read what God says you must do to achieve victory, to the natural mind, it looks like it doesn't mean anything. It may look like it's simplistic. It's not spectacular. But these weapons, even if they don't seem as spectacular, they are still supernatural. Because when God brings down the kingdom of darkness, he doesn't use complicated means. The very things that God tells us to do, that may seem like there are things that are to be despised. God always uses what is despised to confound what is the wise. God always uses that which people look down upon to bring down things that are high. God's methods are never ever complicated. Somebody said, the word of God is so simple that you need somebody else to help you to misunderstand it. Because when God tells you to do something, it is simple, it is possible, it is achievable, and it may look so simple that it's easy for you to try and ignore it. For instance, think about it. When the Bible tells us to pray every day and pray always, that looks so simple. That sounds so simplistic. But when you engage in the act of praying and you do it on a daily basis, there's a power that gets released in your life and there's a level of living you are able to live in your life separate and opposite to what would happen to you any other time. So these weapons are not carnal. Can I hear an amen? amen. They are not carnal. They are not fleshly. They are not natural. But it says these weapons they are mighty through God. Somebody say mighty. mighty. Tell your neighbor, these weapons are mighty. These weapons are mighty through God. The word mighty there is the Greek word dunamis, from where we derive the word dynamite. Watch this. It pictures explosive superhuman power that comes with enormous energy and produces phenomenal, extraordinary, and unparalleled results. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. It pictures explosive, superhuman power that comes with enormous energy and produces phenomenal, extraordinary, and unparalleled results. In other words, these weapons, they are mighty. They are able to come with full power. This word depicts the might of an advancing army or an unstoppable natural force like a tsunami, a tornado, an earthquake. So these weapons, 
are so powerful and so effective and so unstoppable that when you learn to use these weapons, it doesn't matter what Satan has brought in your life, he's going to come down, crashing down in the name of Jesus Christ. It means when you use these weapons, it doesn't matter how far reaching the damage is in your life, the power of God is able to bring about something in your life much more greater than what the devil has done. So it means these weapons, they are mighty, they are explosive, they are superhuman. Even if what we're going to learn may seem simple, it may seem ordinary, it may look like it's too basic, but in spite of that, it is almost like the might of an army that comes against the power of Satan to stop him. It says these weapons, they are mighty through God. What does it mean? It means when our weapons are working with a divine strategy, they are like a force of nature, a divine tornado to drag back evil because they are mighty through God. What it means is this. It, these weapons don't work because of our ability, but they work because of the strength of God that is supporting us. In other words, our ability happens because of our partnership with God and us being used as instruments of God. So when they work, we don't beat ourselves on the chest and say, look at me. When they work, we raise our hands in gratitude and say, look at God. And we are aware that the reasons these weapons work is because of the backup of the power of God behind us. You know, I always like this uh, 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 story, Sir, the Lion King. How many of you like the Lion King? How many of you? Can I see your hands? How many of you? I know some of you don't want to admit that you like the Lion King. You want to say, no, I'm a matured person. Anyhow, I used to watch the Lion King. There's a, there's a scene that I like where Simba, you remember the young lion Simba, the prospective king? His dad, Mofaso, had told Simba in an earlier conversation that there are certain places where he's not supposed to go to, there in that area of Pride Rock, because that territory was out of their range. Even if they owned everything, he mustn't go there because there's danger there. You know, children being who they are and teenagers being who they are, you know, Simba was very curious to know what is it that dad is hiding away from me. But Simba had a very naughty uncle who was, who was, who was a bad uncle by the name of Scar. And Scar knew very well that Simba, because of his curiosity, would try to go there. And so Scar found a way to influence Simba to go there by telling him that, you know what, there's something there that I don't want to tell you about. And Simba said, oh, uncle, please tell me, please tell me. And so Scar acted like, you know, it slipped out of his mind. He said, you know, slipped out of his mouth. He says, well, that is the, that is the elephant's grave. Oops, you said. So Simba heard that and he thought, I'm going to go there. So finally, he found a way to go there with his friend Nala. Do you remember the girl, Nala? And they went over there and here they are at this place where they're not supposed to be. And there's skulls everywhere. It's an eerie place. You see bones and dead things everywhere. And they finally end up in this cave. And while they are there, the hyenas come for the two cubs. 
And here they are, they have their backs against the wall. And here's these hyenas. And the hyenas, before they could kill them, they give them a lecture. And they say, we're going to kill you. And so Simba, in utter desperation, he tries to let out a roar. But what he's not aware of, he's still too young. So he's, he roars. And the hyenas are looking at him and saying, is that all you got? <laughs> I mean, is that the best you can do? And Simba, again, he lets out another roar. And to his utter amazement and surprise, his roar is a loud, booming, earth-shaking, earth-shattering roar. That sends chills down the spines of the hyenas. He himself is surprised. Oh, can I roar like this? That the hyenas are afraid. Only to realize as he was roaring, coincidentally, his dad was the one who roared on the other side. And the hyenas ran away from the loud roar. You see, at that time, Simba was not working in his might, but he was working in the might of his father. So you and I, the weapons of our warfare, they are mighty through God. It is not through our ability. It is not through our strength. It is through the ability of God. I don't know why some of you are afraid to take up your weapons and use your weapons. Because these weapons, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can I hear a good amen? amen. And these weapons, is not our own strength. It's not our own ability. But it is in our partnership with God. As God uses us as instruments. It is these weapons that are mighty through God. Note, they are mighty through God to what? To the pulling down of strongholds. This word pull down means to take down, to disassemble if needed, bit by bit. It means to demolish, to destroy, to dismantle, to throw down, to knock down, to break up, to pull apart and take to pieces until nothing is left standing. In other words, the weapons of our warfare are such that when we use them, we can pull down, take down what Satan has done. We may not take it down in one day, but we take it down piece by piece. It's almost like when you take a hammer and a chisel and you go and bring down a house. As you are bringing down the house, it's not going to come down in one day, but it's going to come down piece by piece as you use extended effort Every day, you keep on working. Every day, you use the hammer and the chisel. I'm here to tell you, if you take the weapons of your warfare, it doesn't matter what Satan has built in your life, has built in your house, whatever stronghold is there, as you use the hammer of God's word, the hammer of the Holy Spirit, the hammer of your anointing, bit by bit, every stronghold is coming down, bit by bit, and one day as you look back, there will be no trace of anything that ever happened in your life. Because of what God has done. We are pulling down stronghold. This word is used to picture a pulling down of a wall of a well-defensed fortress. So in other words, it doesn't matter 
what the stronghold is in your life. It doesn't matter how long that stronghold has been there. It doesn't matter how long it's been existing. When you learn to apply the principles that the word of God is about to show us, you're going to bring down the stronghold piece by piece. Can I hear an amen in the house? The weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. The next thing hearing, casting down imaginations. It's very interesting the, word, the expression casting down is the same as the word pulling down. We are pulling down, we are casting down imaginations. The word imaginations is the Greek word logismos. And the word logismos is where the word logic derives from. So the word imagination therefore denotes thoughts, logic, and reasoning in the mind. Watch this now. So when we are pulling down, we are pulling down thoughts, reasonings, and logic. Which means this. Satan will forever try to bring thoughts in your mind that are against the word of God. And it is for you not to allow those thoughts to lodge in your mind and to build a stronghold in your mind. But you must proactively pull them down cast them down again and again and bring them down. Then it says, we are pulling down every high thing, watch this now, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What does it mean? It means every thought that comes my way, I must check it in how much does it line up with the word of God. Because anything that contradicts the word of God, I count it as a high thing. The expression high thing means a haughty thing, an arrogant thing, and a prideful thought. There are thoughts that are haughty, arrogant, prideful. They wrongfully assert themselves and they're against the word of God. Today we are living in a world that is challenging the truth and the veracity of God's word. We're living in the world that is telling us that we need to be liberal. We need to be accepting. We are living in a world where it looks like the lines are blurred. Things are no longer black and white. Everything is gray. There's no standard of truth, no standard of right and wrong. And all these thoughts Satan shoots at our mind, brings to our mind. The Bible tells us we need to take these thoughts and bring them down to the knowledge of God. In other words, every thought pattern that contradicts the word of God and is trying to penetrate our mind to build a stronghold, we must bring it down with military might. We must bring it down with military precision. We mustn't allow thought patterns to persist in our minds without dealing with them decisively and urgently. The longer you allow them to stay in your mind, they will take root in your mind and they will begin to control your mind. If you look around, you'll note that if you look some of the documentaries, in many countries of the world, as people go through customs, they search your luggage to check what you have in there. And oftentimes, there are certain things that are 
restricted and they are prohibited to cross boundaries and to get into other countries. For instance, certain kinds of foodstuffs you can't bring in, particularly fresh food. Certain plants, you are not allowed to bring them in. They will get confiscated. And this is why you have to fill out a form wherein you have to make a declaration of what you have. Why are they doing that? Because they know if certain plant species can come into the ecosystem of that country, it's going to mess up their ecosystem. So at the border, they deal decisively, proactively. They deal with that in a brutal way because better use brute force at the beginning than allow something to get into the system and try to control it what's in, in the system already. And this is the same attitude that God says you've got to deal with that attitude when it comes to your mindset. Don't allow thought patterns that contradict God's word to persist in your mind. Don't play with them. Don't flirt with them. Don't allow them. Don't believe them. Don't repeat them. Put them down. Cast them down. Bring them under subjection. I don't know how many of you have ever been in the area of Hartebias. The Hartebias poured them if you see it today, it's a mess. And I don't know if you know what happened there. Somebody who had traveled overseas came with a certain plant that was in another part of the world and brought it into the country. Now, we don't know why this person was allowed to go through customs with that foreign plant. And they took that plant that is foreign to our ecosystem and brought it into our ecosystem. I'm told, I was asking somebody who knows about this, I'm told that that particular plant in other parts of the world, there are certain species that are able to feed on that plant. So even if that plant is there, it doesn't grow in an uncontrollable way. But here in South Africa, we don't have that species of, of, of creatures. We don't have it. And so there it is, Kohartisi, you know. It gets pulled off. Two days later, it's back. Pulled off. Two days later, is back. This is the same way with you if you will allow your mind to become that arena that's going to entertain things that goes against the knowledge of God. If you don't deal with it decisively on the first day, if you are not committed to it, if you are not strong about it, if you are not fierce about it, and you allow thought patterns to take hold of your mind, you become a prisoner. And very soon, it becomes a stronghold. It becomes a prison for your life. You can see out into freedom, but you're not free yourself. Soon it becomes a fortress in your life that it looks like nothing else can enter your life. But here's the good news. The word of God is alive and powerful. And it is able to divide asunder between joints and spirit, soul and marrow. And God's word is about to set us free. Can I hear a good amen in the house? And so it's important for us that every thought pattern that contradicts the word of God and tries to penetrate our mind, we cast it down with military precision. Jesus demonstrated to us how to pull down strongholds in Matthew chapter 4. Go there with me. Now you'll understand why that particular portion of scripture is so important. Let me read it to you in the King James Version. 
It says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, let me say this to you. Please note that there are different names used for the enemy. All right? You'll note. The enemy is called the devil. He's called Satan. He's called the tempter. In the same passage, all these names are very important. It says, and Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of who? The devil. Who? Diabolos. So, Diabolos is the one who tempts. How does temptation come? Suggestive thoughts. Thought patterns that are wrong. It comes at you again and again and again and again. Now, we don't know in this verse that when Jesus was tempted by the devil, when it says, and the devil said to Jesus, we don't know if Jesus was looking at the devil face to face. We don't know if it was thoughts that came into the mind of Jesus. Marok Salayo. These words were spoken to his mind. Can we all agree on that, right? So it says here, he was taken, led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So we know that Diabolos is the one who brings the temptation. So in that you can understand the nature of temptation. How temptation comes is Diabolos will throw a thought at you, bring a lie your way again and again, throw it again and again, and the intention is to penetrate your mind until you accommodate that thought and you start thinking on that thought. Right? So note what happens. Verse 2. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. And when the tempter came, do you see the word tempter? When the tempter came to him, he said to him, watch, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. If so, the first strategy that Satan uses is to get you to doubt what God said. To get you to not be sure if what God said is really so. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now notice how Jesus deals with the tempter. Notice how Jesus deals with these thoughts or these words or this statement. Note his response. Verse 4. But Jesus answered and said. He didn't just sit there and act like it doesn't matter. He didn't ignore it. He was not passive. He didn't try to act like nothing happened. He was aggressive. He uses military precision. He gets up and he does something about it. And he speaks back and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking that thought, pulling it down, throwing it down, bringing it under subtraction to the word of God. Jesus is quoting what the word of God says opposite to what that thought is saying. When Jesus said, men shall not live by bread alone, he was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So this is how you do it, Barcelona. When a thought comes your way that contradicts the knowledge of God, 
and it keeps coming into your mind and suggesting something opposite to what the word of God says. You don't just allow it to linger around. You don't just act like you don't know what's going on. You have to rise up, pull it down, throw it down by the word of God. You've got to use the word of God to bring it under the word of God by speaking out what the word of God says in your life. Satan comes to you and says, I'm going to kill you. You respond and says, with long life will he satisfy me and show me my salvation. Satan comes to you and tells you, you are going to go without. You respond by saying, but my God shall supply all my needs by his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Satan comes to you and tells you, you don't know what to do, you are stupid. You respond by saying, Christ has been made unto me wisdom, sanctification and righteousness. You respond to every thought. You don't just allow that thought to persist. In the same way, you stop these things from coming into your mind. You use God's word. Verse 4. Verse 5, rather. Then the devil takes him into the holy city. Do you see that? Satan doesn't come once. He comes back the second time. That's what he does. Very persistent. Then he takes him into the holy city, sits him on the pinnacle of the temple, Said unto him, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you dash the foot against a stone. Now what is Satan doing? Now he is no longer lying, he is using deception. He is half quoting the Bible. Which means this, if you are going to successfully be able to bring down strongholds, you must know the totality of the Holy Writ. If you don't read God's word and familiarize yourself with the totality of God's word, you will do what many people have done. Using the Bible, half of it, to persist in doing wrong things. To pursue things that are not there in the word of God. But Jesus is not in any way tricked by that. In verse 7 it says, it is written, some translation says, he said it is also written, written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. What is Jesus doing? He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Again the devil, do you see? It's the third time now. He doesn't, he doesn't let go. He doesn't stop. He's diabolos. Again and again, he comes to you with one thing. He comes to you. How many of you have realized, Pastor, the devil who zama all sides? He doesn't get tired 24-7. And let me tell you, just in case some of you, you, you think you know, it's different. It doesn't matter how old you are. You may be 150 years old, you get just as tempted as a 15-year-old child. Don't think when you get older, it gets better. In fact, I think it gets worse. Because <laughs> the devil is always coming out against with temptation. It says there, Verse 8, again the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and he says to him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. Then the devil left him. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6.13 
and Deuteronomy 10.20. Now, let's go into this as we close. With the attack that Jesus experienced, he demonstrated to us how to pull down strongholds. When the enemy came, whether he spoke to Jesus face to face or it's thought that came into his mind, we note how Jesus made sure that he takes what the devil says and he puts it side by side with the word of God. When the devil, the tempter, kept throwing lies, deceptions, accusations, and doubt, Jesus used the weapons of warfare by taking every thought captive to the obedience of God. In other words, Jesus filtered everything that was thrown his way through the filter of God's word, which means this. God's word became the standard of truth. God's word became the filter of truth and error. Why? Because God's word becomes a standard. Watch this, Barcelona. We need, therefore, to resolve in our minds and be immovable in ourselves, upholding God's word as the standard of truth. We need to uphold God's word as the standard of right and wrong and uphold God's word, as I said last week, as our, our heavenly bureau of standards. We are living in a world that is talking about relative truth. The world tells us there's no absolute truth. The world tells us there's no standard for truth. Whatever comes to you, as long as it feels good to you, you can do it. If you feel you are such and such, be that and let nobody judge you by telling you otherwise. And if you say something to the person, they say you are not walking in love, you are not full of the love of God. I have a question to ask. Why is it that in our world we have a standard of measurement which is called calibration? We know that in our world we are told on certain roads you should only drive at 60 kilometers per hour. We are told the speed to drive at. And if you exceed the speed, there is penalty. Why don't they allow us to drive as we feel? To test my Lamborghini at least. To show how much power that I have. Why tell me I can only drive at 120 kilometers per hour on a highway? Why don't you allow me to drive at 300 kilometers per hour? Because after all you say, however I feel, that's how I must express myself. See, it's a lie of the devil to get you and I to believe that there is no standard for truth. But there's a standard for truth, and the standard for truth is the word of God. As a matter of fact, all measuring instruments that are used have to go through a process of calibration. Calibration is measurement technology and metro, met, metrology in where they are comparing the measurement values delivered by a device under text with those of a calibration standard or accuracy. In other words, you have to take your machine for calibration where they check with their instruments if your machine is measuring the correct way. I don't know how many of you remember the old uh, uh, scale 
Ewe parliament to measure your weight. I don't know many of you remember. Not this, not this digital scales, the old one. That has a, 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 a round thing or a what you call. Yeah. But those scales, before you climb on it, it has a button where you have to adjust it. So that the zero is at the correct zero. Otherwise, you may, you may climb on it and it say you weigh 52 when you are weighing 72. So you, you want to make sure that you calibrate it correctly and you put it to the measuring standard. Why? Because calibration says to me, if I say this is 5 kg, it must be 5 kg according to the standard. Here's my question. What is the standard for truth? What is the standard for righteousness? What is the standard for holiness? What does God say about living right? What does God say about giving? What is the standard? And we need ourselves to determine that God's word becomes the instrument that we use for calibration. Jesus tells us that in terms of calibration, in terms of truth and error, in terms of right and wrong, in terms of righteousness and unrighteousness, the word of God is the standard. In John 17, 17, when he prays for his disciples, he says, Father, I pray for them. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is Jesus telling us? Jesus is telling us the word of God is absolute truth. There's no other truth outside of the truth. Any other information that you get that's opposite to that, take it down, pull it down, cast it down, bring it under subjection. Don't allow any other truth to build a stronghold in your mind. Instead, allow the truth of God's word to be the one that brings a stronghold in your mind. We're living in a time, Bazalana, right now, that if we are not careful, we will follow all kinds of belief systems. We will embrace all kinds of practices in the name of being progressive. In the name of being, of being liberal. We can allow any kind of thing. And I've always asked the question, if we say that is right, that is right, that is right, that is right, which one is right? Because they can all be right. You, I mean, we, which way is, I mean, if we say left and right, if I say, where is left? And I say this way. When now you say left is that way. And this one says left is that way. And this one says left is that way. Which one is correct? Well, that is where we bring the calibration of God's word. And we put the calibration of God's word here. And the word of God will tell us where left is. And whatever the word of God says, that's what we commit to. Can I hear a good amen in the house here? And so Jesus says to his disciples... In John chapter 8, verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word and the truth are two sides of the same coin. The word and the truth are inseparable. You can't have truth without the word of God. And you cannot have the word of God without the truth of the word of God. We need to determine, Barcelona, as the world is becoming darker and darker, to commit to the truth of God's word. In the words of Paul, we need to decide that we are going to live as children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation.
that our measuring stick and our measuring standard and our calibration standard is the word of God. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. There's no other truth outside the truth of the gospel of salvation. There's no other truth outside the truth of the word of God. Let me tell you, Basalana, generations will come, generations will go, but the word of God will remain forever. You can look down history. There are men, there are women who've always tried to change the word of God. They are gone, but the word of God is still here. Their lies have gone and disappeared, but the word of God is still here. In Colossians 1, verse 3 to 5, listen what Paul says. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, on which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The word of God carries the truth. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is truth, the word of God. The word of God is our calibration standard. No wonder Paul encourages Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the word of God becomes our calibration instrument. And any thought that comes our way, we subject it to the measuring device of the word of God. And if it doesn't measure up to what the word of God says, we take it down, throw it down, cast it down, bring it into subjection. You know, Dr. Cho, the late Dr. Cho, one of the things he used to do with his congregants when they came to him for counseling, because sometimes people come for counseling in areas where the Bible already has an answer. And they need you to counsel them, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some of them come and they say, you know, I'm struggling with this, that, or the other. And he gives an example of a woman who came, and she really had problems with fear. She was struggling with the spirit of fear, and it was really, really destroying her life. And she wanted Dr. Cho to pray for her. So Dr. Cho, being a wise leader, said to this lady, look, I'll pray for you on one condition. I want you to go home and go and read in the book of Timothy where it says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I want you to go home and I want you to rewrite that scripture and write it on a piece of paper 10,000 times, he said. He said, and every time you write it, say it. Don't just write it, say it. And the lady said, all right, no problems. So she went away for a week or two. Finally, she comes back for a follow-up prayer. 
And as she comes to the pastor's office, pastor says, I could see just by the way she walked in, she was a different woman. And when she walked in, she actually said, no, pastor, you know, she starts giving a testimony how she's been living in victory, how powerful everything is. And the pastor said, I thought you came for prayer. She said, oh, by the way, what is it that did I come for here? He said, no, you wanted me to pray for you for fear. She said, well, I don't have any fear anymore. I don't have any fear anymore. Watch. She wasn't prayed for to get rid of the spirit of fear. What she did, she took the weapons of her warfare which are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. As she wrote, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and assignment. As she wrote it, 100 times, 200 times, 1,000 times, 2,000 times, as she said it again and again and again and again, and she used the calibration of the word of God. She took hold of that thought, pulled it down, cast it down, brought it under subjection. Instead of the lie of the stronghold being in her mind, she built a stronghold of the truth of God's word in her mind. And now her mind is full of the truth of God's word and she's walking in true freedom. Here's my question to you as I close. What area in your life do you need to build a different stronghold? A stronghold of God's word. The area where for years you've prayed about it. You probably have fasted about it. But you didn't take the word of God and bring down the stronghold of the devil. Will you, as we close out this year, go out there with the hammer and chisel of the word of God and the Holy Ghost and begin to chip down and bring down every stronghold? All of us, we've got areas in our lives that needs to be dealt with. My question to you is, how long are you going to put up with that foreign object? How long are you going to put up with that foreign species that's coming into the ecosystem of your spiritual life? How long are you going to put up and allow? Are you not going to get up, soldier? Are you not going to get up as a soldier in the army with precision effort, with might and power? and bring down the stronghold in your life. The Bible says, if the Son of God sets you free, then you are free indeed. Freedom is your portion. Freedom is what belongs to you. But you can make a choice to stay in the prison of wrong strongholds. Or you can stay in the fortress of lies and deception. Or you can come out in the name of Jesus, and say, I am a child of God. I don't belong in that prison. I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I don't belong in that prison. And you can do what God has called you to do. What is it that you're staying away from and you're running away from? And that is possible and that you can do. And that is your portion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that God will help us to rise to the fullness of who we are. In Jesus' name. Why don't you give the Lord a big hand of praise today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Just raise your hands to the Lord and just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and thank God for his word. Just thank God for his word today. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a lamp to our feet. Your word is a light on our path. 
We honor you and bless your name. Just raise your voices and just begin to pray right now. Everybody.